Hello and welcome back to the Micro Advice Podcast. Today, our spotlight is on voice of the customer programs, specifically what works well, what does not, and what you can do to be successful. To learn about the leading VOC practices out there today, we're here with principal of AWH, Ryan Frederick. AWH is a design studio based in Ohio, focused on designing and building mobile, web, and IoT applications and digital products. Ryan, thanks so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Jim, thanks for having me. Good to see you. That's great. And Ryan, as an executive of AWH, serving a multitude of customers ranging from Honda to Nationwide Insurance, Cardinal Health, as well as founding your own nonprofit organization and authoring two books on building startups, I'd say you know a thing or two about what it takes to create a superior customer experience. And as a CX advocate myself, I know VOC programs can be very effective in helping to deliver outcomes mostly only whenever they're adequately employed. And that's something that I've seen in practice uh, where it's done well and and sometimes not so well. So let's jump in with how do you build and operate an organization that truly understands its customers' needs and stays close to them as they change and tweak over time? I think it starts with, you know, what do you value? And if you value staying close to customers, then you will. If you value customer input and feedback, then you will put in uh, programs and you will execute right voice of customer initiatives that keep you close to the customer and have you representing them in, in a very effective way. And I think the challenge with a lot of companies around on waste of customer programs is they're doing it because they know they, they have to or they should, and they're doing it to check a box and they're not really in it for the right reasons and they don't value customer feedback. And in fact, they would sort of like to just get away from it because you know, it turns out people are messy. And so I think it starts at the very beginning around what do you value and, and what you value is what you're going to then execute well around and what you don't value, you're probably not going to execute that well around. You're probably not going to care that much about. I think that's a, it's an astute observation. I've worked with various different companies and clients over time, all of whom say customer first, customer experience. But when it comes time to execute, it, it's not as not done as effectively as it could be, mostly because of what you just mentioned, where uh, no one wants to talk to customers and potentially hear the, the bad side of what's going on with the product and service. It's just, let's focus on the good stuff, uh, not fix the bad stuff. So uh, glad you brought that up. So Ryan, how do you design VOC programs or voice of the customer programs differently for mature organizations versus startups? Because my assessment or my assumption is that the two are executed vastly different from each other. Yeah. A startup doesn't really have a choice, but to get and stay close to their customers, because especially at the beginning, they don't have any. So a big part of their effort at the beginning is acquiring new customers, communicating with customers, helping customers learn the product, onboarding customers, learning about what the product roadmap should should be from their direct work with customers, right? At a startup, it's customer, customer, customer. Everything's customer-centric. Everything has to be customer-centric because otherwise you don't have any traction and any validation that you're on a, a good and right path. The challenge with, with enterprises is that 
by and large, they can still succeed and move forward and accomplish many of their goals without having to be close to customers. So their voice of customer activities and programs tend to be very superficial. And you know, net promoter score is one that I think has gotten to be watered down and very superficial uh, because it becomes, and to your comment about sort of want to just hear the good or believe the good and not hear the bad net promoter score programs have gotten watered down because it's like, okay, we're a nine, we're good. But what about the people that, that, you know, came in that, that didn't make you a 10 and where's that data and where does that live? And what did those customers say? And maybe there's gold in there because next time you do it, maybe you'll be an eight because you sort of ignore the stuff that, you know, was the, the, the crumbs in the corner that you should have paid attention to. Yeah, that's interesting. I was reading a research report the other day where the, the more of a recent phenomenon where a lot of these NPS scores or customer health scores are high and then the customer churns or leaves. And, and, and it's unclear why, because the metrics are pointing in one direction, but the behavior is in an entirely different direction. And I think this is a prime example of having those ongoing dialogues and discussions with the customer, why they're so critical, not just focused on a metric or a score or anything of that nature, but actually speaking to somebody to understand their, their insight. Well, and, and customers also figure out what's going on, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you send a customer after an interaction with your company, an email that is essentially a net promoter score survey, right? Cloaked in, hey, we want to provide better service and a better experience for you. Customers know what's, what's going on, right? So it, it, I think companies also need to be more transparent, frankly, about the process so that they get fewer false positives and they get fewer metrics that seem to be pointing in one direction for a customer and then the customer churns. Yeah, very good point. So Ryan, it's been said over a variety of different podcasts and articles that oftentimes VOC programs can result in stifled innovation because you just tend to react to whatever the customer is talking about in the moment and serving their on-fire needs, if you will, rather than problem-solving for the long-term. So what what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I agree with it. And I think it goes back to VOC can often be, you know, just sort of checking a box for a lot of companies. I think companies also should be staying close to customers around um, new things they're working on. Right, new products, new services, new approaches, and engaging customers in those so that their a company's roadmap isn't completely defined by less interesting customer engagement around a particular support transaction or a you know a, a product review or what have you. Those can get very tactical. And then you're you're responding in a very tactical way, right? And you're reacting in a very tactical way, which is not typically super innovative and forward thinking. So I think companies could do a much better job of engaging their customers in, hey, we're embarking on building this new thing, trying this new thing. We want to get you plugged into it. We want to get you exposed to it so that you can take this journey with us. And then it's less about reacting to negative customers than it is about bringing them along the innovation journey to say, we want you plugged into this because 
we think this is going to add value for you and, and we want your perspective on it. Yeah, that is a very, very good point. And one that I'm a firm believer in is building something alongside the customer rather than building it, shipping it and saying, you know, if you build it, they will come sort of situation, but rather getting their feedback along the way. Let me ask you this as a follow on to that. Have you ever had a circumstance or situation where you're building a product and you're building with customers, but two or maybe three customers have varying different opinions? How do you determine where the product direction goes at that point, if they all want something kind of vastly different from each other? My guess would be in those scenarios, and based upon my experience, all those three customers should not be weighted equally. So we, we tend to, you know, in those situations say, well, well, customer number one wants this, customer number two wants this, and customer number three wants this. And we then try to figure out how we're going to wrangle it to sort of meet all of their needs, which then probably waters down the product and waters down the customer value ultimately. So all all three perspectives should not be weighted equally and probably don't warrant being weighted equally. And then I think you as the product owner also have to look at it and say, what outcomes do we need to get out of a product to make it successful for us? Because a successful product by definition is one that meets the needs of customers as well as the product owner. If you, and we went down a path with with a lot of freemium products, right, in the 2000s. The problem with that is, yeah, that gave a lot of value to and met the needs of customers and users, but product owners and companies that came out with freemium products did not get the outcomes that they needed. And those companies and those many of those products and companies failed, right, as a result. So all customer feedback and input needs to go through a filter of how does this align with the outcomes that we need, we want as a, as a product owner, and then weight it according to, you know, who the feedback's coming from. I love that. That's a great example. And I love how you highlight customer outcomes versus becoming a feature factory, if you will, of building yet another feature, educating on the feature that may or may not hit whatever job or whatever outcome the customer is trying to achieve. So that's great. Ryan, have you given any thought around how to avoid bias in voice of the customer research? And this is another scenario where my assumption is that probably based on customer type or customer segment, you're going to get a a wide variety of feedback. And even it may be consistent. How do you make sure that it's equitable for all customers and and their needs? I think a big part of it is to make sure that you're mixing inappropriate timeframes and methodologies of of communication and delivery, quantitative versus qualitative um, feedback. So we were working with a client a few years ago and we were working working with them to concept some some new products large a large enterprise and we had put together a customer advisory group of 10 customers across that were diverse across their customer portfolio and we we in one session we asked them of these concepts which one would give you the most value And then within 24 hours, we sent them an email asking them to rank the concepts based upon 
which one is the most likely to succeed and that they would use. And those two lists flipped entirely. The, the products that they said they valued the most verbally, when we then asked them via email to rank them based upon which one would they would start using, they flipped. And, they, and we went back to them and we asked them, we said, whoa, wait a second. You said you valued in this order, but you would use in this order. Why? And, and they all said, all 10 of these, these customers said, they're different questions. What we value is a different question than what we would use because I value this one, but I think it's less realistic that you guys can pull this off. And so I ranked the one that I think is more realistic for you to actually pull off for me to use but would give me less value. And that was like incredible input, right? right. <laughs> and that also taught us that you have to do product validation and feedback loops through different channels in specific time windows and not just assume because you asked them or you did an email survey, you did this, you actually got the full story, right? There's probably layers to the story and you've got to give customers an opportunity to peel back those layers and give you different input in different ways at different times. That's interesting. And maybe you've come across this in, in your application development. How do you deal with different risk tolerant customers? And it goes a little bit to what you just mentioned with a uh, value versus need. And I would I would imagine that an insurance company versus a SaaS startup would have a different layer of risk tolerance. So how do you balance those two, two needs for one technology? Yeah. And customers have a different risk tolerance too, right? Because, you know, someone who's going to use a startup product and work with a startup clearly is saying, hey, we see value here that we can sort of tap into and, and you know, we know there's some risk associated to it. In my experience, enterprises that are risk adverse are risk adverse almost to a, a level of um, concern that they can't even sort of quantify and, and value in, in that in an insurance company or a financial services firm, a bank, right, will say, we're in a highly regulated you know, industry compliance, right, conservative, et cetera, et cetera. And then that's when they then, you know, th there's a, an email thread going around inside the company that says, well, what about this new startup that just raised, you know, you know, a billion dollars in, in is now an online bank that is taking some of our customers away. So I think enterprises distribute their mentality of risk onto their customers inappropriately many times. And then they engage with their customers in a risk sort of profile and mode that, that actually doesn't give their customers the ability to give them really transparent, authentic feedback because it's all sort of wrapped in, well, keep in mind, you know, we're risk adverse and we're conservative and, you know, and we're regulated. You know, if you look at the, the most innovative companies that are still in regulated, very compliant industries, they don't look at themselves as being sort of shackled by risk in those things, right? They look at it as saying, how do we sort of 
figure out new ways to operate and do things and, and then bring our customers through that process and not sort of take our risk profile and put it onto customers. So is it a, a matter of operations then or perspective where you know, some executives might see a very highly regulated industry as, well, I'm stifled by innovation here versus, you know what, th- these are the, the barriers that we have to work or the constraints we have to work within. How do we do it in the most effective way? So is it a matter of perspective, do you think? I do, but I think it's in its systems, right? Uh, enterprises, especially in regulate, you know, regulated industries with lots of compliance issues, put systems in place so that they they stay inside of those those constraints and those guardrails. Const- I'm glad you used the word constraints because I uh, there's a chapter in in my first book, the Founder's Manual, about constraints because it's one of the real big differences between startups and enterprises. Startups have a lot of constraints, team size, funding, no customers, got to figure out marketing, got to figure out pricing, right? Companies, enterprises have virtually no constraints, right? Most of them have very deep pockets. Most of them have big teams, lots of systems, lots of ability to try new things. Yet, when we think about innovation, where's the innovation coming from? It's coming from the constrained startups, not the unconstrained, right? enterprises, enterprises are the ones that put constraints on themselves, right? And and then that trickles down to customers not seeing those companies as being very engaging and very innovative. And it's it's almost companies put false constraints around themselves that prevents them from being that innovative. Uh, That's a very good point. I really like that perspective because I think sometimes I've I've heard this, you know, in, in bigger companies or employees of bigger companies, will consider their role very constrained. I, I think that you know that is unlike a startup where one person may have to do 10 different jobs, wear 10 different hats because resources are so limited, budget, uh, talent, whatnot, systems. So I really like the perspective you bring there. That, that's fascinating. Ryan, last question for today. This has been great, by the way. I think you've shared a lot of great insight around, around voice of the customer and what works and what doesn't. What, what do you think are the most critically important activities that you've discovered throughout all of your different work that dictates or helps to elicit program success? Yeah, I think it ultimately comes back to if you if you believe that staying close to customers and having um, customer feedback and input into your products and your services and where you're headed as, as a company, then you, you don't even need a highly structured program to be good at voice of customer and staying close to customers because you want them as part of the, the journey. Google's a great example. Google puts beta on their products for seven years, eight years, nine years, right? We were all using Gmail and it said beta for you know a decade probably, right? Because Google wanted to, to visually say to its users that were using Gmail, this is a work in progress. Right. We're, we're tracking what you're doing. We're seeing how you're using the product and we're making it better, right? When's the last time that you saw an enterprise company that wasn't sort of steeped in that sort of DNA of we're going to experiment, iterate, and stay close to customers, put beta on their product, right? Good point. Almost never. Rarely, right? Very, very rarely. 
And so it's if voice a customer and representing your customer and staying close to your customer is in your organizational DNA, you don't need a very mature process to ensure that it happens because you'll just do it natively. If you tend to devalue, drift away from customers, you probably need a very mature, very regimented voice of customer program because it's an attempt to have you value it more and to stay close to them. And if if that's you and that describes your company, where you need a very mature and sort of ruthless voice of customer program, I think you should rethink how do you make it more cultural? How do you make it more part of your organization's DNA than needing a really rigid, you know, robust program to force you to do it? Very glad you brought that up. I talk a lot about customer experience transformation programs and a variety of channels. And I believe all of them should start with internal looking first, employee and, and internal engagement, because if the company is not equipped with the right systems, the right culture, the right skills, any CX activity is not going to stick. You're going to do it one time, maybe get a little bit of feedback, and then it's going to fall right off the wagon and you revert back to your old ways of operating. I, I think looking internally first is a, is a great perspective to fix what may be causing some of the customer issues to begin with. And then once those are fixed, then you can can act on uh, a, a solution that's more more sticky and, and last with the organization over time. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you bring up a good point around even identifying the issues. I think a lot of organizations are also still really inadequate around mm-hmm. issue tracking resol- resolution and, and then ultimately using you know those issues to make you know significant change and improvement. Right. It becomes, oh yeah, the issue got to the right department, right? So we can sort of check this off in the system. But what happened? Right. And and, and so I think that if you're running a customer, you know, experience program and voice of customer program where <clears throat> you're identifying issues, but then the issues sort of go off into the ether and you and you're not sure what the resolution was and how it got closed up, you really need to spend a lot of time on your issue tracking management and resolution piece, because otherwise you're probably leaving a lot of hanging chads out there that they're destructive for you and that are probably doing harm to your customer relationships. Yeah. Excellent point. And I guess this goes more into the program management of what sort of activity you're turning your customer around on. However, it, it it's that basics of, Hey, we need a risk register an issue tracker, things like that, just to stay on point to make sure that items are getting resolved and checked off because without tracking it, you know, it just goes on for ages and no real progress is made in many cases. You forget, you move on to the next problem and forget about the initial one that you set out to solve. Yeah. And there's probably no more direct and acute way to harm a customer relationship than Mm -hmm. for them to express an issue and then for, and then for it to go nowhere and there'd be no resolution. Right. Yeah. Or, or if nothing else, at least a communication of, hey, here's what we're doing to work on it. It's going to take some time. Uh, I'll give you updates. But nonetheless, it's uh, I hear you where it's I, I've experienced that frustration before where I've submitted some some problem or issue to a, a company and they're like, hey, thanks so much. This is great. And that's the last I heard from it. Never got solved. Never heard anything back on, you know, your your uh, 
problem is in the roadmap or it's not, it doesn't matter. I would have taken anything. <laughs> that right. Exactly. And I think so when it falls into that, the, you know, that vacuum, right. Then as a customer, we're sort of left, you know, wanting, right. right? Um, did it matter? Did anything happen? Do they care? You know, and that's probably, that's probably even worse than not asking the question to begin with. Yes. Right. Because now you ask the customer for feedback, you elicit it, you got it. And then it, it and then sort of crickets. Mm -hmm. um, so, but a lot of companies still struggle with that issue fulfillment resolution piece because that's where the hard work is, right? right. That's where you're grinding. That's, that's where it's okay. You know, this customer has expressed a problem here. Is it systematic? Is it cultural? Was it the customer? Right. And that's where you got to really get your hands dirty and it's hard work. Yep, absolutely. Uh, very, very good insight. Ryan, thanks so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Th this has been great. Jim, thanks for having me. And thank you all for listening. If you have any thoughts on a customer experience topic, please drop me a line on LinkedIn. If you enjoyed this video, there are several more on YouTube, Spotify, and iTunes. Please subscribe to Microvice Podcast and get the weekly updates uh, with, with interviews like Ryan and others. Thanks again. Have a great week. See you right back here. Same place, same time next week. Bye now.